When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride. For this week's Behind Enemy Lines podcast, Brandon Lee Gowton, editor-in-chief of Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation site that covers the Philadelphia Eagles, is kind enough to join us. Brandon, thanks for coming on. How are you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to be here. Uh, It's an interesting time to cover the Philadelphia Eagles in that (laughs) uh, the team isn't very interesting and not very good, but uh, always something going on. (laughs) Well, we'll get into that in just a second. But before we get into it, I just want to give everyone a chance to uh, know where they can follow you. I know, obviously, it's a Raiders-based site, but we're all football fans here. So where can the uh, the good people find you? Check me out on Twitter, at Brandon Gowton. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N-G-O-W-T-O-N. Uh, obviously, my work, as you mentioned, bleedinggreennation.com. Also, check out me talking about the Raiders from time to time on the mm-hmm. SB Nation NFL show, where we talk about all things NFL. Awesome. Well, you kind of hinted at my first question there, Brandon. And, you know, after a two or with a two and four start for the first season, uh, excuse me, let me fumble through my words here real quick. After a two and four start uh, through the first six weeks, I don't want to say the T word just yet, but are things getting a little windy in Philly if you catch my drift? Feeling the draft a little bit? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I was like, wait, what's T word are we talking about here? (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. I mean, look, the Eagles are in a spot where everyone, had some kind of realistic expectation of this season. I, you know, not everyone wanted to give up on the season heading into the year, but I think people knew, you know, the Eagles weren't Super Bowl favorites by any means heading into 2021. And uh, I don't think people are still ready to give up on the season entirely just yet. But uh, certainly the fact that the Eagles currently own three picks in the 2022 NFL draft, because obviously they have not only their own pick, but one from the Carson Wentz trade uh, from the Colts, which is conditional. And then the one from the Miami Dolphins, which honestly might be one overall. Uh, we'll <laughs> see how that goes. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of not to look to the future. Gotcha. So I am curious. You kind of brought it up, you know, had some expectations. So I'm curious, is this about what you expected from the Eagles personally, or is this kind of a, I was just a little bit of a shock, a little bit of gut wrench for you. I don't think the record is necessarily a shock when you look at who they've played two and four. It's not like unthinkable, but I think how they got here has been reasonably disappointing. Uh, I think you have to obviously allow that Nick Sirianni is a rookie head coach and his coaching staff is pretty young and that Jalen Hurts is not a rookie because he was a rookie last year. And but he only obviously has less than a full season starts under his belt. So, you know, some growing pains to be expected, but I think it's kind of one would be remiss to write off all the Eagles struggles merely as growing pains. And as I said during the Bucks game, I think uh, sometimes it's not just growing pains and the people, the head coach, the quarterback, just times where you have to wonder, okay, they might just not be good. So with Jalen Hurts, you've obviously played a lot of closer attention to his young career than I have. But from an outsider's perspective, it seems like he is going to be one of those guys that will look like a franchise QB next week and then look like someone's going to get run out of town the week after that. Would you agree with that or, sort, or kind of what's your take on Hurts so far? 
I think Jalen Hurts has a higher floor, which is what you're kind of maybe getting at there. And uh, but I, I I just don't think the ceiling is super high, which is part of the problem. Uh, I don't think we've seen enough from Jalen Hurts this season to really say he's definitely the guy you're moving forward with. And now look, you know, six games down and still a lot of season left. So there's time for things to change. But you know, the current pace, I just don't think he's been a guy that looks like a bona fide franchise quarterback. I'm just not seeing anything special about the arm talent ultimately at the end of the day. And I know people like to say that, okay, you know, he's young, you know, he means 10 games under his belt. And again, I'll allow some of that. And I'm not expecting him to be like MVP of the league, but you got to show me a little bit more than he's shown me thus far. I think he's had more negative than positive this season. And I think people would love for him to be the Eagles franchise quarterback. And I understand that because I think Jalen Hurts is a likable player. Easy to root for him, kind of has it down from the uh, intangibles and everything. But at the end of the day, you can't just will your preference into reality. <laughs> and I think some people are kind of doing that and, and like really wanting him to be the guy and kind of like trying to act like he is the guy. I, I just don't think he is, again, just based on some of the things we've seen with the plays left on the field, the fact that he's not really working the middle of the field between the hashes at all, like 3%, I believe, of his past attempts have come in there, which is a crazy low number. <laughs> so I just don't think you're seeing enough. And at the end of the day, like, I don't think all of the Eagles offensive struggles are on him recently, but the offense looks kind of broken and he's part of that and he's missing a lot of throws. So uh, I don't want to take any blame off of Nick Sirianni because I think Nick Sirianni deserves blame as well. But I think it's not just one. It's not just Sirianni. It's not just Hurts. It's kind of all of them. And that's how you get to a broken offense. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you bring it up and I feel like, you know, Hurts, he has a great story. I think he seems like a really great guy, obviously sticking around to Alabama and uh, keep competing it out for the starting job. And then, you know, ending up transferring and having a pretty good year at Oklahoma and he, you know, hard worker and everything. And like you said, I feel like a lot of people want him to do well. I mean, I know just from those stories and whatnot, you know, his personality wise, I want him to do well, but just hasn't seemed to quite be there, but I do want to kind of focus on, you know, his feet a little bit and his ability to move. Cause I do think that makes him a unique quarterback and can make him a, a problem for somebody. So with Hertz's feet and ability to make plays as a runner, um, can you give Raider fans some insight into how they use him in the running game and kind of what to expect in that regard? Well, they haven't been using him enough, honestly. I think uh, (laughs) they could really lean into that a bit more, and they should because he is really effective in that regard. Now, I think some of those plays that Jalen Hurts has extended, uh, obviously there's value in it. And we saw a really good example of that against the Carolina Panthers when Jalen Hurts are free and one of the best plays by Jalen Hurts the season when Jalen Hurts had a free rusher, I believe it was uh, Hassan Reddick, uh, in his face was able to kind of just like, you know, like, shake free of him and throw a big uh, two-point conversion to Devontae Smith in the back of the end zone. So you can see where, you know, his mobility can come in handy and kind of make some plays. I think there are other times where Jalen Hurts takes off running and it kind of looks good. It's like a, you know, six-yard gain maybe for a first down, but you, you go back and you look at the play on the all 22 and everything, and there's a guy open maybe 30 yards down the field and he didn't hit him. So you're kind of talking about opportunity costs there. So, and I think sometimes teams know that and they'd rather him kind of just take off and run and they'll live with that as opposed to him making big plays down the field with his arm. So uh, I, I just don't think we've seen the consistency from that, but it, it obviously is a weapon in terms of his mobility and able to shake free and extend plays. It's something that the defenses have to account for. Gotcha. Well, I know you said, uh, you know, the Eagles need to take advantage of his feet a little bit more, but I'm curious how the Eagles scheme has been taking advantage of that, especially in the passing game, whether that's through quarterback play action, design rollouts and whatnot, or is that something that's just not kind of devoid of their offensive part of the problem um, from what you're 
talking about. Yeah, I think the bread and butter of this offense has been a non-effective uh, RPO kind of system where everything is like, okay, why didn't you guys run the ball more? Well, because we're you know it's RPO and we're kind of judging it based on what the defense is giving us, which I think is kind of uh, wrong and silly because <laughs> at some point I feel like you have to have an offensive identity and like you do what you do and you kind of do it well and, and you know ideally. And I just think of, you know, just for example, like the Ravens and a team like that, um, obviously they have a very unique cornerback and system and everything, but they do what they do and they do it well. It's not like they're trying to always out scheme everyone, try to like trick everyone. And I think the Eagles have been too focused on maybe trying to to do that, to out trick and just like try to uh, play 4D chess or whatever you want to call it here with everyone. And I think they kind of just need a, a bread and butter to go to that is more effective than what they're doing now, which clearly isn't working uh, I am not like the biggest, you have to run the ball to win guy, but, uh, cause I, I think in general, you do want to pass, pass, pass and, and do that effectively and efficiently. And then that kind of sets up the run as opposed to the old school thinking that you run to set up the pass. But I mean, the Eagles have just not been running enough at all. Like they're taking it to the extreme, gotcha. especially with running backs where, uh, I, I think in the first half against Tampa Bay, they only had one carry or so, uh, like they're just not they're giving the like the defense wants them to not run the ball. They want to take that away. And the Eagles are just like playing into their hands. I know, I know the bucks have a really good run defense. So it's not like you're going to try to run the ball like 50 times against them. You got to do a little bit more than never basically and keep them honest. Uh, so I think the Eagles really value analytics as an organization. And I think they take that to an extreme sometimes in a bad way. Gotcha. So I think that's been part of the problem. Okay. Gotcha. Well, you, you touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to dive into Hertz as a passer a little bit more. So I'm curious, you know, what would you um, say are his biggest strengths and weaknesses? And I'm curious how he does throwing on the run, given, you know, his mobility and whatnot, obviously that being a big factor. Yeah. So he likes to roll out to his right a good amount and he, he likes to throw it to his right a good amount, which isn't totally like crazy because he's a right-handed quarterback right. um, and an experience. So uh so that's what you can kind of expect from him in that regard has he been how has he been throwing on the move there are times where in week one he made a really nice touchdown throw to dallas goddard where it was kind of a broken play and dallas goddard somehow was like covered when jalen hurts was staring him down in the end zone but somehow <laughs> he uh hurts and goddard got on the same page and hurts threw a really nice ball to him that's one of his probably his best plays of the season uh so there are times again when it can be a weapon and it can be effective uh, but I don't think we're seeing it, you know, as this like grand weapon, obviously, that is really saving the offense by any means. I think it's it should be a tool in the toolbox as opposed to, you know, something you're trying to necessarily base everything around. But they could probably afford to do it a little bit more than they've been doing thus far. Is there a specific coverage or like type of scheme that he kind of has had struggled with in the past? Um, I guess I don't really think of it that way. I think that there's throws there to be made. And regardless of what def- you know, what kind of defensive scheme he's been playing in, and he's just not making them enough. He's leaving too many plays there out there on the field. Uh, he's had accuracy issues. That was one of the knocks on him. You know, heading into the NFL, that was something we saw out of him as a rookie last year. And I feel like you know you have to give him some kind of grace with that because he's a rookie in a bad environment. But then I saw some of those in training camp throughout training camp. And I saw, although I think he improved a little bit in that regard. And then now we're kind of seeing it again. And the deep ball accuracy has been a big problem, especially where he's just not able to hit 
on these throws down the field. And it's not necessarily like the timing is there too. So that's part of it. I think the inaccuracy, you kind of have to look at it from that standpoint too. Uh, Cause he has nice touch in a way where I feel like he can float a ball down deep. Uh, I've seen receivers run underneath it before, but right now it seems like the timing is out of whack. The ball placement might be just a little off or a little come out, comes out a little late. So those are some of the struggles I think with him right now, more so than anything a team is doing to him and him just not executing what should be out there. Gotcha. Well, let's move on to Philly's offensive weapons. And this Sunday is going to be their first game since the Zach Ertz trade. So I'd love it if you could shine some light on how you think they might spread the ball around without Ertz out, with Ertz out of the equation. Yeah, so right now, as we're recording uh, on Tuesday, October 19th, uh, Dallas Goddard has not been activated from the reserve slash COVID-19 list. Now, it's possible he does get activated before Sunday because you know he went on about a week ago from today or so, and he uh, can he can be cleared to return if he returns two negative uh, COVID tests 24 hours apart. So potential that he is back, uh, assuming that he is. I mean, I expect him to be the guy. You know, you'll be tight end number one. And whereas the Eagles have previously kind of been splitting uh, the tight end targets between Zach Hertz and Dallas Goddard, I think you're going to see them feed Goddard more. Although I will say, Again, as I mentioned earlier, Jalen Hurts not really kind of working between the hashes there. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that the offense is all of a sudden going to be extremely like tight end heavy, such as maybe, right. you know, the Raiders is with Darren Waller. I don't <laughs> think they're going to be force feeding him like 16, 17 targets or whatever <laughs> in a game. Uh, but, I, you know, obviously Dallas Goddard's playing time will go up in this one, assuming he is back. Gotcha. Well, let's assume he is kind of back for now. Um, obviously, things can change between now and then, but. What does Goddard bring to the table that's different from Ertz? And then kind of the other uh, other side of the equation, what would Philly be losing with Ertz out and Goddard in? Yeah, so the thing that makes Zach Ertz special isn't really like flashy, but he's just a really good route runner and chain mover. He knows how to get open. He knows how to work leverage. He understands how coverages are playing him. Uh, that is something, again, that I don't think you can really always appreciate the same way as you might when you see like Darren Waller, just like, you know, run over people or, you know, make these incredibly athletic catches and everything he can do uh, in addition to kind of having, you know, obviously some some proficiency at route running and everything. So I think that's what you're kind of missing from Zach Ertz, who really, you know, wasn't posting good numbers. I just don't think that connection was super there with the way that Jalen Hurts plays. Um, Dallas Goddard is much more athletic. I would say much more in the Darren Waller kind of mold, not comparing them as players, but uh, kind of closer to that than he is to Zach Ertz at all, or Zach Ertz is to, to Waller. And just a guy who's very athletic, uh, good inline blocker as well. Um, he is uh, very, he's, he's a, a weapon after the catch, much more so than Zach Ertz, not one of Zach Ertz's strengths at all. So, uh, in theory, you know, more dynamic, exciting tight end. I wouldn't say he's, you know, as good as separating as Ackerts is. Not to say that he can't get open, but it's just not, you know, the same level of skill when it comes to route running and all of that. But uh, should be a really good player, uh, assuming, you know, he gets this tight end role and the quarterback actually tries to get him the ball. So it sounds like from what I'm saying, from what I hear and you saying, they're swapping out like a, a savvy veteran for more of an athletic project kind of deal. No Something like that. Um, I, I do think Goddard is polished at this point where, and it's and look, it's a big year for Dallas Goddard too, because he's going to be a free agent after this season. And as it's looking right now, I would guess the Eagles are probably going to just put the franchise tag on him considering they haven't signed him to a deal yet. And they've signed a couple of his 2018 uh, classmates like Josh Wett and Jordan Milotic to contracts. Dallas Goddard himself before the season said that he thought he would have a contract by now. 
again, maybe that gets ironed out even by as soon as before Sunday's game because Zach Hurts is gone and maybe they come back to the negotiation table and it all works out. Who knows? But uh, I think the Eagles kind of want to see how Dallas Goddard looks as tight end one as opposed to splitting time in the offense, so tight end one A and tight end one B with Zach Hurts. So, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's safe to say it's a different dynamic with him being the main guy and the only guy. Gotcha. Well, moving a little further outside, Devontae Smith appears to kind of has already taken over as the Eagles, quote unquote, number one wide receiver. So can you tell us a little bit about how they like to use him and where he's had the most success so far? Devontae Smith is, I think, a really, really good player who hasn't really broken out in the way statistically that you might expect. Uh, But I don't think that's his fault. And Part of that is because I'm a Devontae Smith apologist and then the guys <laughs> can't say anything wrong about, or bad about him. But I think genuinely, like, again, when you have a quarterback who isn't really working the middle of the field and you kind of contrast that with the quarterback that uh, Devontae Smith was working with at Alabama last year when he won the Heisman, Mac Jones, yeah. I just think it's a very you know, different style of play. And you're not going to see that necessarily that same volume production. Uh, there have been times where Devontae Smith has been open deep down the field. And again, the accuracy just hasn't been there. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, so he can be used in as a big threat, big play threat. Um, he can be used underneath. He's been helpful in moving the chains. I think Devontae Smith will probably kind of take on some of that Zach Ertz workload in terms of uh, the underneath passing game. But really, I think he's versatile enough to line up at anywhere and win uh, from any position. I think he's an incredibly versatile receiver. Uh, he's not the biggest guy, obviously, but I think he can go up and win jump balls. I think his route running is superb. He can get open. Uh, again, he's not like Deshaun Jackson out there necessarily, but I think you can't sleep on a speed because he can get open deep down the field. So uh, I've been waiting, you know, I think we've all been waiting for that kind of just monster takeover game. And I think he has it in him, but it's kind of just, you know, really figuring out it out with the quarterback and, and getting on the same page and everything. And you would think they'd be able to with Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts because they went at Alabama, but I just don't know if their games necessarily uh, match up perfectly like you would want to see. So uh, Devontae Smith, definitely I'd watch out for him because I think he can go off, but we haven't seen it quite, quite yet. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned his size, and that was probably the biggest knock on Devontae coming out during the pre-draft process. Um, have you noticed that being an issue at all for him? And building off that, how has he been able to handle press or more physical coverage? I think he's been fine with it, really, because, I mean, he's getting open consistently. It's just that uh, well, part of it, I think, is the Eagles aren't using him enough in terms of just targeting, like force feed him. Just like, again, I'm really making a lot of Darren Waller references here, but like the Raiders mm-hmm. make like a very – intentional effort to throw the ball to Darren Waller on like a billion plays in a row, or it doesn't even have to be in a row, but throughout the game. And I feel like the Eagles have kind of gone light on with that, with the Devonte Smith. Like you don't need to, you know, take the training wheels off. Like let this guy be the number one target, like target him, go keep going to him. Like, don't just get away from him for some reason. You don't have to like, for example, like they're, they're targeting Devonte Smith, let's say eight times, seven times, but then Jalen Rager is getting like five targets. I mean, why? Because Jalen Rager hasn't been good at all. Like force feed the ball to Devontae Smith. Um, obviously there's going to be plays, I guess, where, you know, you can't just predetermine it and throw it to him if it's, it's not there. But I just feel like there are times where he's getting open and he's not seeing the appropriate amount of targets he's been getting. So I think the Eagles have been kind of misusing him in that regard and that like they need to just run the offense through him and they haven't done that yet. So you mentioned Jalen Rager, and I've got to be honest with you, and I might be opening up a little wound here. I was a big Jalen Rager fan coming out of TCU. So 
I might be, so like I said, might be opening up a little sore wound, but I'm just curious, you know, obviously you mentioned he's, he's struggled and even me being a guy that liked him a lot can admit that and whatnot. So I'm curious, uh, right now, what's kind of been the biggest problem with him? Is it one thing in particular, or is it just uh, a collection of things right now? So to kind of contextualize Jalen Rager's struggles here this season, I will tell you that Trayvon Diggs, who is a cornerback, has two more yards than Jalen Rager this year (laughs) and one more touchdown. So not great. Uh, I think one of the biggest reasons for Jalen Rager's struggles is that like there's something going on above the shoulders that I think just isn't like quite right with him. And and it's hard to kind of like exactly maybe put your finger on that but it just doesn't seem like he the effort is always there like there was a play in the panthers game where the eagles threw a bubble screen to quez Watkins, and Jalen rager just got shoved back into the backfield by aj bouye and it was just like dude like are you ready to play right now because you didn't show any effort on that play and this got blown up and that's not like a one-off that was something that was on the scouting report coming out of tcu he can get very lackadaisical at times like way too often and I just think you see that kind of inconsistency. Uh, he had a pair of drops in the Buccaneers game. He forced a couple of pass interference penalties, although one of those was like a really bad underthrow by Jalen Hurts. So uh, mm-hmm. kind of got some help on that one. But yeah, I, I just don't think we've seen Jalen Hurts produce. Like I, I've watched him in training camp. Um, he had these ridiculous one-handed catches in camp this year that a lot of people kind of like climbed yeah. onto or like, oh, wow, Jalen Rager might yeah, have a breakout season. But yeah, and that's, and that's great, but like, guess what? Like he was doing yeah. nothing in a, like 11 on 11s, which is like, you know, mm. more, more closer to actual football as right. opposed to a one-on-one drill. So I think, you know, he has some tools in him and I, I think that's why people, you know, maybe such as yourself were getting really excited about him, but we just haven't seen it, seen it show up with any kind of consistency. We haven't seen the effort. Uh, I just, I just don't trust him out there. And honestly, he's been outplayed by both Devonte Smith and Quez Watkins, and he should be seeing a smaller role in the offense than both of those guys. And we've kind of seen that happen a little bit uh, with Watkins getting some more playing time recently. Uh, but then I think against the Bucks, Rager was ahead again. I just don't think that should be happening. I think Watkins and Devonte Smith are the guys who deserve the most targets until Devonte or until Jalen Rager can actually prove he can produce, which he hasn't thus far. Well, you bring up Watkins, and so I'll let you uh, flip the script a little bit and talk about somebody that's kind of emerged in one or an Eagles wide receiver, I should say, that, that has emerged. And on paper, at least, he kind of looks like he's been used as, you know, Philly's deep threat. But I'm just curious if that's been the case, or is he more than that, or what's what does he exactly bring to the table? Uh, not totally unlike Devontae Smith. Like, I've seen Quez Watkins able to win in multiple ways. I've seen him make great contested catches. Obviously, you mentioned the big playability. He's very capable of doing that. He has 4-2 speed. It's legit 4-2 speed, not unlike uh, Jalen Rager's, or not like Jalen Rager's, like a supposed 4-2 speed that I feel like he just hasn't shown up in the same way, at least in the terms of manifesting and production. So, uh, yeah, I think Watkins can win in a number of ways. And he's been an underutilized piece as well. Like, again, why are we giving targets to Jalen Rager when Quez Watkins can make big plays down the field? He can catch the ball short like he did in the preseason and take a pass like 75 yards down the field and outrun the entire defense. So uh, I don't think Quez Watkins is necessarily a volume guy. Like, I think that's what Devontae Smith should be. And you should be really force feeding him. But I think Watkins is a really nice big play complement and should see bigger role than he's currently getting uh, a really valuable offensive player to have. Gotcha. Well, I want to touch on the running backs for a second and start with the lead man in the backfield, Miles Sanders. To me, he seems like a guy who's had plenty of potential, but hasn't been able to maximize that potential yet. Can you tell us what he does well and where he needs to improve to enter that upper echelon of young running backs? Or do you kind of disagree with me? 
I mean, I, they need to get him the ball. It's part of the problem because they're just okay. not running the football. Okay. Uh, and I think he's an interesting player in that he clearly has home run potential. I mean, if you watch his 2020 season, he had a number of big plays where, like, you know, once he gets a hole in open field, like he can take off and he can make people miss too, and he's gone. Now, I think one of the downfalls to Miles Sanders is that he can get a little too cute with the dancing around. And I think he leaves some meat on the bone out there, so to speak, sometimes. And I also think one of the big issues that we saw in training camp, haven't seen it as much in the season, a lot of drops. And he actually led the NFL last year among running backs in drops. So kind of concerning to see. And I think while that hasn't necessarily shown its head just yet, uh, it has manifested in Kenny Gainwell, Eagles uh, day three running back, getting some playing time and getting a lot of some of those looks as a pass catching running back. Not enough, in my opinion. He actually had his lowest usage in week six against the Bucks, which made no sense to me because <laughs> the Buccaneers kind of struggled to shut down Miles Gaskin, you know, who has some uh, skills as a pass catching running back. So I think another player being underutilized, Kenny Gainwell, <laughs> kind of a big theme of everything I'm saying the to you. Every, a lot of players are being underutilized, <laughs> uh, which is a, a coaching issue to some extent. So uh, I think Sanders, you know, is talented, but I don't think he's a player if you're the Eagles that you kind of like sign to a big second contract. I think he's like a nice player, but I don't think just in general, I don't even think the Eagles are, you know, want to pay running backs. So I think that's part of it, but uh, yeah, a nice player and one they should be using more, but not necessarily like this foundational guy, like not like anyone like Derrick Henry or something like that. Gotcha. Well, you kind of touched on my next question, which uh, makes for a nice little transition. So how much does Sanders get involved in the passing game now that Kenny Gainwell is in the mix? It sounds like Gainwell is kind of taking that role over if I'm picking that up from what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird because as a rookie Sanders are really effective in that regard. And the Eagles kind of leaned on him late in the season that year as a rookie in 2019. And it was effective. And then the Eagles tried to do it in 2020 and it didn't really work at all. And there was thought that there was going to be a lot more targets to the running backs under Nick Sirianni based on what we saw out of the Colts offense in the past with, you know, Jonathan Taylor, and then especially Naheem Hines. Um, But yeah, it seems like the Eagles kind of, uh, have favored high or not Heinz, but Gainwell in that pass catching <laughs> role. Uh, now, I think Sanders did have more targets than him in the Bucks game, which I think is wrong and wouldn't like to see. I think you got to get it to your best pass catching running back, who I think is Gainwell. Um, but Sanders can do that in theory. That's that's a tool in his toolbox. Uh, again, in theory, we haven't seen the execution great uh, as of recent, but uh, it's possible he can be used in that way. So I'm not sure if I'm remembering this correctly or not, but I think it was during the preseason or the regular or the start of the regular season. But if I am remembering remembering correctly, there was some chatter that the Eagles weren't using Gainwell quite as much as we might have thought. Which, building off what you're saying, I'm feeling pretty confident in my uh, my memory now at this point. But so has that kind of changed as he's gotten more experience and gotten more involved and whatnot? Well, it's weird because he actually saw his lowest snap count again in week six, which just didn't make any sense to me. And like he only had, I think, two offensive touches. I think he had two targets and one carry. Um, It's just like, again, what are we doing here? Because, I mean, just even putting the pass catching stuff aside, which you can't, which should be the main thing, it's been efficient as a runner too. Like get him the ball a little bit more. It's not like you're giving him 20 carries per game, but um, mm-hmm. between him and Sanders, like both of those guys just need more carries than they're getting right now. It shouldn't be, again, it doesn't have to be the extreme. It doesn't have to be you're running the entire offense through the running game, but it has to be like a legitimate 
complement, a legitimate factor in there and more of a balance than we're seeing. I don't know about 50-50. That kind of seems a little too uh, ideal and cute and, and perfect, but like something at least more approaching that than the extreme gotcha. that it is right now. So I think that's where it's at. Gotcha. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we've got to show some love for the offensive line. And I believe Lane Johnson said on Twitter that he's coming back this week. So what does he bring to Philly's offensive line and how does his return shake things up up front from what we've seen uh, from Philly over the last few weeks? It's a big deal, I think, especially with the Eagles about to take on uh, Max Crosby or or Lane Johnson specifically on the, Mm -hmm. the right side of the offensive line there. And Crosby being, I think, believe tied for uh, ninth in sacks with five and six games so far. So getting Lane Johnson back, assuming he is going to play and everything, that's what I'm taking the rejoining the team thing to mean. Um, I don't know how it's going to work out, you know, necessarily like conditioning wise because he was away here for multiple games. So um, assuming he is playing, I think it's a big deal to get him back. He is arguably one of the best players on the entire team. Uh, a very good, not only a very good right tackle, but just one of the best offensive tackles in the league, period, I would say. So um, getting him back is a big deal. Uh, the configuration with uh, without him, you know, the Eagles were using starting left tackle Jordan Mailata, who was playing through injury at right tackle, and they were putting their 20... Uh, 19 first round pick uh, Andre Dillard at left tackle and Dillard did better than expected, but I still think the best combination obviously is you have your actual franchise left tackle Jordan Mailata at left tackle and Lane Johnson at back at right tackle. You mentioned Jordan Mailata and obviously he signed a big contract with the, uh, with the Eagles in the, uh, in the off season. I'll be honest. I don't know a whole lot about him as a player. I know he, uh, I believe he's the former Australian rugby, rugby player, if I'm correct. And then, so Enlighten me a little bit. What kind of type, what kind of type of player is he? Uh, he's a fun player to root for. Uh, Jordan Mailata came into the NFL, literally no football experience at all. Like had never played a single right. snap at any level, like not even, you know, like peewee high, wow. high school. Cause it's, it wasn't what happened for him in Australia there. <laughs> so it was crazy to kind of see him develop into the player that he has not only like into a starter in the NFL, but like a good player, a good starter at left tackle, nonetheless, one of the more valued positions in the entire league uh, outside of quarterback. So it's been a really cool journey for him. He has a really fun personality. Uh, he's huge. He's like six, eight, three fifties weight kind of varies depending where you look, but he's a very, very big man. And, uh, but he's not unathletic. Like he's, he's, he's athletic as well. And I think there have been times where you've seen him out in space. He can just absolutely crush people out there. So that's a strength the Eagles have going for them. If they actually do want to run the ball or maybe it's on their <laughs> screens, which there's been a little too many screens for, I think a lot of people's liking here. They haven't been working, uh, but on those plays, he can be effective. And then in pass protection, I think he can kind of just absolutely swallow up people sometimes in terms of like, you're really not going to bull rush Jordan Mailata because he's just so big. Like you're just going to, you're not going to do anything. You're just going to stay in there. He's going to stalemate you. So um, I, I think he's been a really good player and I think it's been a tough matchup for him again, having to, to move out to right tackle. 
and not only doing that, but also doing it while hurt like he's been. So I don't know if he's 100% effective because he's still kind of battling through this knee injury. He's a big brace on his right leg, like a really big brace. So it seems to be gotcha. kind of some kind of issue. But uh, overall, I think he's a player that a lot of people trust to kind of give you a good performance week in and week out. Well, I tell you what, I will uh, I will take a 350-pound athlete on my team any day of the week. So, <laughs> uh, Jason Kelsey has been one of the best centers in the league over the last few years, but he's kind of getting up there in age. So I'm curious, has he started to slow down at all, or is it still the same guy that's been the beast in the middle of the offensive line for years? I don't know that he's like the best center in the NFL anymore that he was at his peak, but he's still, still a very good player and dependable player is not going to miss playing time, you know, knock on wood. Hopefully I'm not jinxing Jason Kelsey there uh, for his sake, especially, but uh, yeah, just, you know, a really unique player in that he's not like a mauler. He's a guy or he's not like the biggest guy, but he's extremely athletic. And some of the things he can do out in space in terms of like getting to the second level and getting out wide and, and making some blocks in the run game and everything like that's not something every center in the NFL. Exactly. I, in fact, I would say like most centers can't do that. So he's a very unique player um, and definitely one. The Eagles are glad that they have back uh, heading into this year. There was you know, a situation where he might retire because he's been getting up there and he's previously given weight to walking away, but they have him back and they're grateful for that. Gotcha. Well, one of my guys during the NFL draft process was center Landon Dickerson from Alabama, from Alabama, who the Eagles took in the second round or are now playing at guard. As like you mentioned, Kelsey is kind of a career might be a, or a career might be over pretty soon, but Dickerson has seemed to struggle a little bit as a rookie. Can you shine some light on what he struggled with and on the other side of the coin, whereas he stood out in a positive light? You know, I think it's kind of important to contextualize that like he missed most or on the entirety of training camp. He had that ACL injury, yep. uh, Alabama in uh, December, 2020. So uh, I kind of want to give him some slack because I saw how we, we all saw how much of a difference this made for Javon Hargrave who entered training camp in 2020 uh, hurt and missed all of training camp and actually missed some time early in the season last year. And it kind of took him to late in the year in 2020 to kind of really be himself again and kind of make an impact. So I kind of want to give somewhat of a break here to Landon Dickerson, because I don't know, you know, how much you know, missing all that time that uh, kind of kind of impacted him, but uh, I just don't think he's been really effective in pass protection. I think there's been too many pressures allowed. And again, also kind of a tough ask when you're starting him out at right guard and then you're moving him over to left guard and, and he's you know, learning on the fly and everything. But at the end of the day, you know, you took this guy with a very high second round pick. So the excuses can only go so far Like you're expecting this guy to be a valuable, a valuable contributor, not only like down the road, but also from the jump. At least you, I think you would, if you're taking a guy, I think at number 37 overall. So I think he's kind of been a disappointment, but you know, I, I can't like say the book on his career or anything is written just yet because of all the sure. kind of uh, caveats I've given there. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that's uh, was a little bit shocking about his struggles is he was a guy that I think, you know, there's this, the screenshot of him playing literally every position on the offensive line yeah. in college. So it, I can see where that get a little frustrating, but yeah, like you said, guy that uh doesn't hasn't had much playing time had an offseason cut short with the injury so but an easy another easy guy to root for for sure so two-part question here to wrap up the offense is there any offensive lineman is there any other offensive lineman that the raider fans should know about and how are you feeling about the eagles in pass protection will hold up against the raiders pass rush especially against max crosby you brought up before yeah i think crosby is a real weapon um i think the raiders would be wise to kind of 
not just keep him on Lane Johnson the entire time. Maybe, you know, some stunts, move him around a little bit because Lane Johnson, again, is a very good right tackle. Although I will say, you know, I don't know, again, exactly where Lane Johnson is at with his conditioning and everything since right. he's been away for a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, maybe test out Lane Johnson and see just how 100% he is and see how that works. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's that's those are the big guys, you know, my lot of Kelsey and uh, and then Johnson and Dickerson has been a weak point. Uh, Jack Driscoll, I also think, isn't really ideally – uh, best used as a guard like he is right now. I think he kind of gives you a little bit more at tackle. I think he has kind of more of that body and that profile as he does any kind of mauler on the inside there at guard. So uh, I would look to the Raiders to be looking to kind of attack him and test him out in addition to Dickerson. Uh, that's Those are the kind of the weaker points, the offensive line. It's funny you bring up uh, using more stunts. You know, one of the things I noticed in this last game for the Raiders is they were using a lot more stunts than they have been against the Broncos. I don't know if that was necessarily you know, something they want to continue to do or not, or if it was just trying to mess with the Broncos offensive line that has, has its fair share of protection issues and whatnot. So yeah, maybe that's a little preview of what we can see uh, moving forward. But let's shift gears a little bit for, and talk about the defensive line. And let's start with the headliner, Fletcher Cox. Production wise, it looks like Cox has taken a small step back this year as a pass rusher, but still fairly productive. Just not those insane pressure numbers that we, he was putting up in the past. Do you think that's more because he's regressed a little bit or because he's getting more attention now that he's the guy in Philly's front seven? I think there are some multiple factors here. I think scheme change that plays into it. But like at the end of the day, for me, you don't pay Fletcher Cox like to be the highest paid player on the team, like he is for the Eagles, and making the top five or top whatever money it is for interior mm-hmm. defensive linemen. And like, I'm sorry, like you have to produce results. Like you can't just be like, I, I looked at all the other top uh, interior defenders earlier this season and they have the sacks too. And I'm sure they're getting double teamed as well. I can't only hear like, well, Fletcher Cox isn't producing more because he's just getting doubled all the time. Like that's not a good enough excuse. You have to produce. Gotcha. And uh, Fletcher Cox has sacks in back-to-back games for the first time, I believe since kind of uh, like mid 2020 season. So maybe he's kind of finding his groove here a little bit and the Eagles are kind of freeing up him up a little bit more. But I just don't think he's the same elite player that he once was. I think he's a good player, an effective player, to be clear. But I don't think he is, like, the elite difference maker. And I think part of the reason for that is, like, he's probably older than his actual age is in terms of football years. Like, because he's been playing since 2012. He entered the league young. And he actually has played more snaps than Brandon Grant, who entered the league two years earlier in 2010 and is, like, a couple years earlier or older as well. So, uh, I think that's something that kind of gets lost in how much football he's actually played. And I think naturally that's taken a toll on him. And I just don't think he can be that same dominant elite force game in game out that he once used to be. So that's kind of disappointing. Yeah. I kind of agree with your, your sentiment there about, you know, paying a guy and then leaning on the excuse of always getting double teamed just for not protection. I'm like, well, if we're going to pay you, you got to produce to, so it can, so we can't pay everybody else. So I he- hear you on that one. And then, at least for me, Javon Hargrave has kind of been the biggest surprise on the Eagles' defense this year. He's got an elite 90.2 PFF pass rush grade, 19 pressures on the year. So I'm curious if he's kind of caught you by surprise, too, or has this been a guy that a lot of people have uh, thought would break out soon and then just the rest of the world's now finally taking notice? Yeah, so he got off to that slow start in 2020, and then he kind of heated up down the stretch, and I was like, okay, maybe you know he's kind of getting healthy and everything and figuring it out. And then in training camp, Javon Hargrave was awesome for the Eagles. Like he was one of their, you might arguably be the best player that they had in training camp. He was just like living in the backfield, constantly blowing up run plays, 
um, getting in the quarterback's face. Obviously, you can't sack the quarterback in practice, but he was, you know, getting in his mm-hmm. face as much as he could a lot. So I uh, wasn't shocked when he started the year very strong. And I think Javon Hargrave is playing not only at like a Pro Bowl level, but like an all pro kind of level. Like I think it's him and Aaron Donald as the top two defensive tackles in the NFC. He's been really, really good. Didn't have a sack in week six, but um, he's well on pace to crush his single season record of six and a half sacks in the season. I believe he already has six, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I think he's going to crush that. Yeah, and he's going to have double-digit sacks probably this year. So he's been great. And I think to Fletcher Cox's credit, I think, you know, some of Cox's presence takes away from uh, the blocking attention that Javon Hargrave gets. So I think there is some of that. But I think really, mostly, more than anything, it's just about Javon Hargrave being a really disruptive player um, who doesn't have, like, the – he's not the biggest guy in terms of, like, you know, height and everything. Uh, not like necessarily what a prototypical defensive tackle might look like, but um, I think he's just really good at bursting into the backfield. I think he's just like really quick off the ball and has just been able to use his technique well uh, in addition to his power and everything to just be flat out dominant. Gotcha. And on the edge, it looks like the two main guys are going to be Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat, Sweat, both of whom personally I put them in that above average to good category. Uh, would you agree with that, or what should we expect from those two on Sunday? Derek Brennan has been okay. Um, I don't think he's anything special at all, and he's had some really dumb penalties this year, like, <laughs> and not just this year, basically over his entire career. So that's been frustrating, and I think it's not looking super likely that the Eagles will resign him when he is a free agent after this year. Um, but Josh Sweat uh, has been more effective in general. Now, that being said, I don't think he's been quite the player the Eagles have envisioned him to be after signing him to that big contract extension. Not to say he's done nothing, but I think they're, you know, they're kind of looking for even more out of him. And it's possible that'll show up. But I think on the whole, the edge rushers haven't been bad, but I just don't think they've been as productive as you would like to see. Gotcha. So Philly's linebackers. I'll be honest. I don't think I recognize a single name on the roster from that position group. Yeah. Which I mean, it's more an indictment on me than it is on them. It doesn't necessarily no, bad players. No, okay. Disagree. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I gotta appreciate you're you're helping my ego out out here a little bit because yeah. I was looking at him like, I don't know, is this me or is this them? So good to hear. But uh, who should Raider fans know about and from Phillies backers then? <sighs> Great questions. Uh, no one. <laughs> I just, good, just good no or bad, I guess. Names. Good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Eric Wilson has been so bad, former Minnesota Vikings linebacker, that these have just kind of decreased his playing time a lot recently. So if he has to play for some reason, uh, look out for some missed tackles and not being amazing in coverage. Uh, Davion Taylor is a third round pick from the 2020 NFL draft, who I think has probably shown the most potential of any Eagles linebacker. But that being said, I think he still makes a lot of mistakes as well. So it's not like he's perfect out there. It's just kind of like he has the best like high variance outcome, like either really good or really bad. Uh, so it's just not a great unit. And that's not like by accident. The Eagles don't really invest anything into the linebacker position. They have Alex Singleton out there, a former CFL player, former practice squad player, and he'll rack up a bunch of tackles. But like they're not the most meaningful tackles in terms of like being in the backfield or kind of for no gain or like a two-yard gain kind of feels like a lot of them have kind of come down the field. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it's just not a great unit. Um, they're definitely able to be exploited in that regard, uh, whether it's, you know, missing tackles in the run game or not being the best in pass coverage. So the Raiders should absolutely be looking to target those guys, especially when you have a weapon and Darren Waller like that. 
Well, gotcha. Well, you, you bring up Darren Waller and, you know, attacking the, the Eagles linebackers coverage. So I'm curious, what do the Eagles defense kind of ask of their linebackers in coverage? Yeah. So basically, you know, the, 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 the overall defensive philosophy under Jonathan Gannon, what we've seen so far for the most part is like to sit back and don't allow a big play. Like you can, <laughs> we, we'll live with stuff underneath now against better quarterbacks. The Eagles have been a bend and break defense and like <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, um, Dak Prescott, those quarterbacks have had no problems marching their way down the field and then punching it in once they get into the red zone against some of these lesser quarterbacks like a Matt Ryan or Jimmy Garoppolo or Sam Darnold. The Eagles have been kind of able to hold them to field goals a little bit more or even force some turnovers in the case of the Panthers game. Um, so it's kind of an interesting spot, I guess, that Derek Carr fits in there because I think he's better than those bad quarterbacks, but I think he's clearly not as good as those top quarterbacks. Um, so maybe he'll be able to kind of figure it out and kind of pick things apart. And this, this again, ideally, bend but not break defense. And, and to their credit, the Eagles have been good at not allowing the deep shot. So maybe this isn't the biggest week for Henry Ruggs, you know, making big plays down the field because that's what they can kind of take away. But again, I think there's a problem when it comes at the expense of the other team just able to consistently just march down the field and punch it in when it counts. So uh, that's what you kind of have to look out for in defense on, as on a whole. Gotcha. Well, since we're talking about the coverage, let's uh, move on to the Eagles defensive backs, which have kind of been like a point of contention, I feel like, or an area the team has tried to address since shortly after the Super Bowl, maybe a year or two after. Um, then they make the trade for Darius Slay last year. So can you talk about how Slay has improved the Eagles, Eagles coverage unit or has he at all? Well, not last year, which is one of my big points of contention <laughs> with the trade is like, okay, you trade for Darius Slay in a vacuum. I think he's a good player, but like he's not transforming your defense by any means. And that was last year. I think he's been better this year. And obviously he had the big two pick game against the Panthers. And that was really big. That helped the Eagles beat Carolina, <laughs> uh, picking off Sam Darnold twice there. So uh, good to see him finally live up to the big play slay nickname because he had only one pick in his previous 18 games. And that's, again, <laughs> it kind of go back to what I said about Fletcher Cox. Like when you give a guy top five corner money at the time, the Eagles actually gave Darius Slay a contract that made him the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. Now, since then, that was March 2020. There, you know, there have been contracts that have surpassed yeah. that, but still, he's being paid like an elite cornerback. And I don't think he's necessarily been an elite cornerback, like a big, like difference making game changer uh, enough for the Eagles, as much as he's kind of just been like a guy who can kind of shut a guy down, which, you know, has value, but you kind of also need those big plays, I think, too. And we haven't seen enough of them until more recently. So uh, I don't think Darius Slate necessarily had his best game against the Bucs. I wouldn't say he's the main reason they lost at all, but um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does this week. Uh, Darius Slay had a really good game against the Panthers. Like I mentioned, not only because of the picks, but how he was used in that he was shadowing DJ Moore the whole game. And the Eagles haven't necessarily done that all year long. So I'll be interested to see if they apply that to the Raiders and where they line him up. Maybe if they're going to put him on Darren Waller at all and try to shut him down, that'll be interesting to see if they, they go that route. Um, but I think he's, I think he's a good player. I think his reputation precedes him a little bit again, but uh, you know, not certainly not a bad cornerback. Well, now that you've kind of had to, or been able to watch him for about a year and a half, what would you say Slay's biggest strengths and weaknesses are? Would he be able to cover a guy that's his physical route runner like Darren Waller? So he'd struggled with that a little bit. I mean, you look at what he did against Devontae Adams last year, and that was a really bad game. And then now, again, in fairness, Devontae Adams, arguably the best receiver in the NFL, if not, <laughs> you know, if not the best, 
definitely top three, top five. Uh, and then against DK Metcalf, another physical freak of nature, did not have the best games, actually had his worst games against those guys. So um, if you're kind of looking at it from that standpoint, kind of not a, the best trend there. But it's kind of funny because it's not like Darius Slay is necessarily small. Um, so you, you wouldn't think that it's like, you know, a height thing or whatever. But just for whatever reason, those guys kind of got the best of them. And I, mean, I think in part just because they're, they're freak players. They're, they're tall and they're really fast, physical and everything. So, so maybe it wouldn't be the best matchup for Slay to be on Waller. But I think it would be like the most effective, like the use of him in terms of like if you can ask him to shut down a player, like that's who you'd want it to be. Gotcha. So Steven Nelson is the other starter on the outside. And just by judging off his PFF grades, he's been a solid player for the birds this year. Is there a specific type of wide receiver that he plays well against? And then the opposite was, where does he struggle to cover? I think Steven Nelson is just like quietly a solid starting cornerback. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. he is necessarily special in any way. Like he, I don't think he's as bad deep speed, but I don't think he is amazing deep speed. I don't think he's been any kind of big playmaker. He did have a pick against the Panthers to seal the game, which was big. He also dropped a pick in week two against the 49ers. Um, he was in position, just couldn't execute it, which was you know a big play ultimately. But um, uh, I think he's a solid, you know, he's a solid number two cornerback. Uh, it's nothing flashy. Just, you know, he's going to give you, he'll give up some plays at some points, but he's also going to be capable of making some plays kind of just gives you an overall good production, um, not particularly like stands out, I think, in any kind of one area as yeah, just some, a well-rounded player, but not a star. Gotcha. So it sounds like the uh, the good, the elite or the good of the good receivers are going to get to him, and the, he'll be able to take advantage of like a lot right. of number two, number three guys. So sure, what I'm saying, awesome. So covering the slant is going to be Avante Maddox, who I believe has been in Philadelphia for a few years now, and seems to be like another guy who might not be a superstar, but is good in his role. My question is, is Maddox a big part of the Eagles defense? And how do you think he'll do covering a shifty guy like Hunter Renfro in the slot? Yeah, it's a big matchup. Uh, Avante Maddox has his usage has kind of been interesting. Like the Eagles haven't always used him uh, this season and gone like heavy nickel. Um, but I mean, they should be doing that clearly in this matchup, as you mentioned, Hunter Renfro. Uh, and I think he's been pretty good this season. I think like one of the more underrated storylines of the season is Avante Maddox stepping up after struggling when the Eagles tried to move him to the outside last year, doesn't really have the size for that and moving him back into the slot where he didn't actually, even though he kind of profiles as a slot player, cause he's shorter, he didn't really do that in college at Pitt. He was kind of used more in the outside. So uh, he's kind of, I think had to like relearn the slot and kind of readjust to that. But I think he's done a good job. Again, I, I kind of put him ultimately on the level of a Steven Nelson. I don't think he is like this star uh, I, I think he's, he's been susceptible to giving up big plays and, and uh, both the, the running game and the passing game at times. But I think he, so far recently this year, I think he's, he's playing at a good level right now. You have some level of confidence in him that he can win that matchup against Renfro. I'm not going to say he's going to shut him down all game long, but I think he can kind of prevent uh, the, the Eagles from totally getting killed in the, with the Raiders slot receiver. So a few years ago, Anthony Harris is one of the hottest commodities in the free agent market for safeties but has seemingly fallen off a steep or a steep cliff over the last uh, few years after the franchise, after the Vikings franchise tagged him. I'm not sure how much pay, you paid attention to him with the Vikings, but if you did, I'd love it. If you could shine some light on the biggest difference between him and Minnesota and Philadelphia. And if not, can you just talk about what he's kind of been for the Eagles so far? Yeah, I just, I, he just hasn't been that impact player for the Eagles at all. Obviously like he was for the Vikings and 
Um, I think part of that is the scheme the Eagles use. They're not necessarily always going to get big plays at their safeties from the standpoint of they're, they're playing deep and they're kind of discouraging that deep pass. So it's not like you're always going to get tested in that way. Um, but uh, he had a chance to have a pick against the Chiefs, I believe, and he dropped that. That was pretty bad. Um, and otherwise, uh, he's been you know solid. I don't think anything special at all. The Eagles signed him to a one-year deal. Uh, in the offseason kind of seemed like a tryout, like, hey, could this guy maybe be, you know, a long-term piece for us, even though he's a little bit older? And I would say so far, I, I don't think he's showed that he's like really worth any kind of big multi-year deal as much as he kind of might just be kind of like a stopgap piece. And one that was worth taking a look at just based on, like you mentioned, that production he did have a couple of years ago. But I think that was kind of more of the exception and not kind of the player you're going to see from here on out. I think, you know, he had a down year in Minnesota last year, which is why the Vikings, you know, weren't super interested in keeping him and everything. So I think he's fine, but nothing special. So everybody that comes on the show gets asked this question and you've touched on it a little bit when we're talking about Darius Slay. I have to ask you, what is the Eagle strategy going to be to try and slow down Darren Waller? <laughs> it's a great, it's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> um, Again, they're going to try to take away the big play. I'm thinking it's not just about like trying to you know make every yard count as much as it's kind of limiting the damage they do to him. Um, it could be just about you know rallying to the football, make sure every like every time uh, he's catching that ball that we're making sure we get to him because he's going to do damage uh, after the catch. In addition to just being running through the secondary, making some big plays uh, before the catch. Uh, so it, you know, I think it's easier said than done. I think it comes down to. Uh, getting creative, maybe mixing and matching who you put on him, kind of seeing what works, what doesn't throughout the game. Uh, at least I think that's the kind of thing I would try to, to do. I don't know if they're going to just line up and just say, hey, we're going to play our defense and, and that, that's just going to be it. And then we're going to do what we're going to do. Um, I think you kind of need to get a little bit more matchup dependent on that. But uh, it will be interesting because I think that's a very, it goes without saying, it's a very, very big key to, I think, who wins this game. Yeah, I mean, mixing up the looks has kind of been the the common theme throughout the year for against for teams attacking Darren Waller. The only problem with that is then uh, when you do get one of those unfavorable matchups, uh, Carr's not going to let, like you mentioned before, Carr's not exactly going to miss that guy when he's open. So interested to see, always one of my my uh, favorite things to watch throughout the game. So well, I'd like to wrap these up by just getting some parting thoughts on the head coach, especially since this is Nick Sirianni's first year at the helm. So what are your first impressions of Sirianni? And I'm curious what your thoughts on the, surpri the rather surprising firing of Doug Peterson at the end of the season. Yeah, I think ultimately uh, Doug was probably not part of the solution moving forward. I can acknowledge that as someone who liked Doug Peterson a lot and think uh, the Raiders maybe should give a look to <laughs> Mr. Doug Peterson since I know they need a new maybe. head coach uh, in the offseason. But um, yeah, I think it was just kind of unfortunate to me that he was took the fall for the season. Like, I don't think Doug Peterson was the only reason the Eagles were bad. And that's kind of how it got made out to be. Cause he's the only one who got fired. The general manager is still there. Even though the general manager, Howie Roseman <laughs> has made a lot of bad decisions and deserves a lot of blame for the Eagles falling from grace since winning the super bowl. Um, so that's been frustrating uh, going to Nick Sirianni of it all. I think he's kind of looked overmatched to begin the year. Uh, there's been bad game management decisions. There's been bad play calling, bad like like philosophical decisions in terms of hasn't been totally conservative and fourth downs on all that, but there are times where he has been and it's been inconsistent. And again, like I said, at the top of our conversation here, I'm willing to give him some grace. I'm kind of, I, I would position myself. I'm kind of a Nick Sirianni centrist. I'm in the middle. 
I'm willing to kind of go either way in terms of believing him or not. I think, you know, we haven't seen the full picture yet from him, uh, but I can't say I'm encouraged. I'm clearly leaning more towards the skeptic side than I am the optimistic side, because I just think there have been a lot of mistakes and I just don't think he's really given this team a great edge other than week one, which, you know, is a nice win, but you can't just have one good game. You need to show us more than that. He also won two games this year. Like I said, the Falcons one was nice. The Panthers won. The offense was terrible. They had 88 yards of offense in the first half. Uh, their offense has been starting out slow in these games. It looks, again, just broken at times. Like, everything has had a sink. I think some of that can be chalked up to him being a rookie head coach, but I think some of it can chalked up be chalked up to him potentially not being a very good coach. So uh, when the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, they actually released a video clip of Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie kind of talking to him, the conversation. And one of the things that uh, Lurie said was, I can't wait to see the coach you will become, which I don't think a lot of people like to hear because it's like kind of acknowledging that you're not a finished product just yet, but maybe you'll be good. <laughs> and uh, But maybe not too. I think that's the thing that is concerning to me is, is that these might not just be growing pains and he might be not a good head coach. Um, so I think Sirianni just hasn't been like giving this team an edge. I don't, I don't think he's done a good job this season. I don't think everything that's wrong with the Eagles is his fault to be clear. As I said, I think a lot goes on the GM. I think Jalen hurts has made Sir- Nick Sirianni look worse by not hitting plays that have been out there on the field. But you know, with all that said, I think even if you get all those things, there's, there's still issues here with Sirianni. I'm sure, uh, Philly sports fans took the, that quote from Lurie very, very rationally at the time. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, thanks again, Brandon, for coming on. Once more time, can you give uh, give your Twitter handle out and where people can find you? Absolutely. Follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gelton. Check out uh, bleedinggreennation.com for all of our Philadelphia Eagles coverage. And, you know, obviously I have some stuff on the Raiders there as well, uh, relevant to your audience here. And then again, also check out the SB Nation NFL show on any kind of podcast app you listen to. We'll be talking about all 32 NFL teams there, including the Raiders. So uh, that's the place for that. Awesome. Well, Raider Nation, you know where to find me, Adam Holder 95. Of course, follow Silver and Black Pride. Other than that, until next week, guys. <laughs>